Ladies and gentlemen, buoys and gulls, welcome back to the JKWD podcast. Hope you're having a wonderful day, but if you're not, it will soon turn around. How are you, Kelvin? I'm I'm oh I'm good. <clears throat> I'm good. We uh, we just had a great uh, conversation here with uh, with, with Bill Protzman. Uh, yes, yeah. From Music Care. That was that was something else. Um, but beyond that, I'm in sunny Syracuse. It's not snowing. Well, it's also not sunny right now, but. <laughs> But there is light coming from the sky through the clouds, and uh, it's not snowing, and it's not sub-zero. So, really, life is very, very good for me right now. <laughs> Great. How about you? Well, good. Um, you know, you can probably hear in my voice that that, you know, it's funny. There will be some continuity probably because I think the episodes that we – Recorded a month ago, I had a cold, and I got a cold again. Um, <laughs> so it probably doesn't sound any different. You're just a fertile breeding ground. But, yeah, really. Um, <laughs> man, ho- hoping to get rid of this, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm at least in good spirits. You know, talking to you and and having that conversation with Bill, uh, that was a lot of fun, uh, as you will hear uh, shortly. Okay, yeah. Uh, between music as entertainment and music therapy is a powerful opportunity to use music as a tool. And Bill calls that opportunity music care. And you'll hear why. Uh, it's probably one of the longer, I mean, not the longest, but, but over an hour anyway, we went with him. And uh, we should probably mention first that uh, we're brought to you, as always, by our friends at Kettle and Fire. Go get you some bone broth and some soup, whatever else you like. You can fill up your box and get 10% off. Go to kettleandfire.com. Use code BETTERHUMANHOOD at checkout. That's K-E-T-T-L-E-A-M-D-F-I-R-E.com. Put anything you want in your box and use code BETTERHUMANHOOD at checkout for 10% off. 10%. 10% off. and uh, Good play, yeah. If we go ahead and play some music on the other side of that, you will hear Bill from Music Care. All right. I really appreciate you guys inviting me on. So, uh, yeah, how, how can I uh, help your audience be smarter? <laughs> well, I think the best way to start is to uh, introduce your mission to our audience and then uh, let us know why, why that's your mission. Oh, my gosh. So uh, I've been a musician, as you know, for a while, but I realized somewhere along the way, maybe just as recently as last year, that this was bigger uh, self-care using music is a great idea, but as I started down that pathway, what I found was that self-care by itself is really new for people. They, 
people don't generally understand that we can take responsibility for a lot more of our healthcare than we do. Now, in, in some countries in the world, that's already the case, but especially in America, you know, we kind of go to the experts. And that's changing. Uh, yoga and meditation are a great evidence-based practice that's, that's changing things fundamentally. So people understand that they can do good stuff for themselves. They don't always have to find a doctor or a therapist or somebody. And that's a good start. But this mission is really about raising awareness for self-care and how powerful the tools are that we already have, like that we already have. Music is one we already have. Um, tapping is one we already have. EMDR, it's turning out, is something that we've been doing for millennia without really calling it by the expert name that we have it now. But instead of having specific licensed patented things that you have to get from an expert, there's so much available that we can use to care for ourselves well, provided that we are aware of it and we know how to use it. And, and music, of course, is one of those things. So um, yeah, I, I, the mission just kind of blew up for me. It just got from this thing about teaching people how to use music for self-care to becoming an advocate for better self-care regardless of the modality. Let's just create awareness for that, right? Yeah. Now you talk about self-care. I want to dive a little more into it because the, the term kind of gets tossed aside a lot, uh, but we've got, we have weird priorities, you know, at least here in the U S we call it healthcare, but really it's sick care, right? We go to the doctor when we're not feeling well. Uh, we, you know, we might go for a, a well checkup, but it's really to find out what we're doing wrong. We don't go for a lot of preventative stuff. Um, and, yeah, anybody who talks about going on a self-care retreat is, you know, the, we, we put that under under hippy-dippy and kind of write it off sometimes. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a daily meditator, uh, and, you know, I've been off of running most of the year. Uh, we have an infant at home, and, and I'm home with her during the day. Uh, but, you know, that's another – yeah, it's – it's preventative, uh, you know, from a, from a health standpoint and, and from a mental health standpoint. Um, you know, what are we really talking about, do you think, when we talk about self-care? You know, because I kind of see it as, as really, you know, uh, health without medication, you know, before we get sick. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I like what you said about sick care because our mindset here is that we wait long enough until we're until there's some incapacity that we're experiencing and we have to go get fixed. Um, Self-care is getting out in front of that. And I think you alluded to that, talking about running. There are things that we do for ourselves that we know are good. Mm -hmm. And um, those are part of self-care. But when I talk about self-care, it goes way beyond the hippy-dippy crystal cruncher stuff. It, it, it's about physical and it's about mental, but it's also about emotional and even spiritual self-care. And if, if you've you know, if you're playing with a band, um, that is one of the most amazing opportunities for group, for collective self-care that you can possibly imagine, especially with music. Because music is getting in there on all those levels, mm -hmm. and your mind is focused, obviously, because you got to play. But then you've got, if you're improvising at all, you're open to the creative. Mm -hmm. And some people call that God. Some people call it consciousness. Mm -hmm. Some people call it inspiration. I don't care. But it's, it, that opening to the creative is there. And then, of course, if you're playing with other people there's a mood. So all four components are there, the physical, the mental, the emotional, and of course, the spiritual. That's self-care. And I know it's a lousy word for it, but I like to call it holistic because it does encompass all four aspects of our care. And there's so much we can do in that. 
without having to wait to get sick, <laughs> right? Um, we can stay healthy in so many great ways. And this isn't new. I mean, you know, motivational speakers out there, I've, I've started to revisit my Zig Ziglar tapes. Oh, absolutely. So people have been talking about this stuff for a long time. And uh, when it comes to trauma, that goes all the way back to like Epictetus in the Greek days and Marcus Aurelius, who was the emperor who presided over the fall of Rome. They were into what it, what it takes to care for themselves, um, not as Stoics, but as human beings with tools. And I mean, Rome was the, well, it was huge. The Roman Empire was the largest thing around at the time. And this guy was, you know, in charge of its demise, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, that took some self-care. And uh, when you read his letters and stuff, you can, you can read about the, all four aspects of how he needed to care for himself to be able to guide that process, as tragic as it was. And other people, you know, contemporary writers are writing about that today. Uh, it, it's fascinating to me that there's this resurgence of interest in uh, what I call self-care, but maybe it's just uh, awareness, you know, being, being conscious of things, meditating. I mean, there's a, what was that I heard about? There's, instead of sending little kids in school to time out, they send them to meditate for three minutes. And it's transforming this little school somewhere in New Mexico, I think is where it is. So uh, these practices are just, they're so cool because, uh, you know, they've been around for a long time and, and clearly they work. So it, it, opening the kimono a little bit more and just saying, okay, so all of that is about really caring for yourself. But so is, you know, like a spa retreat and, and mm -hmm. going to the beach or whatever. That's all part of it. You know, I mean, a lot, a lot of people consider things like meditation. Um, are, <laughs> we'll talk about the religious community at some time. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I have friends and, and, and I'll ask them, you know, they're, they're good Christian people. And I say, uh, do you meditate? And they go like, no, I pray. Okay. Well, I mean, that's part of it, but it's not, it's not the all of it. Um, so a lot of the stuff we consider self-care, like I'm a Reiki practitioner. Yeah, me too. I'm a life coach. And so a lot of people consider that to be like weird stuff when in reality, even if you read the Bible, which I don't much, <laughs> you know, the fact that we have the ability to heal each other and to heal ourselves is there. So yep. it, it's not as... Uh, as anti whatever they want to consider it to be as, as they think it is because it's, 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 it's all there. And I, I got to admit when I first started on that path, I, the first person that brought, brought me Ricky, I thought they were nuts. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? It's like they came in with a crystal and, and, uh, and doing chakra stuff. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what you've been smoking. <laughs> uh, really, I wish you'd have brought some extra with you. I could have had some, but as it turns <laughs> out, you know, it's, it's been a very, it's been a very good thing. Uh, so, and then right after that, about, you know, 30% of the people who came into my world were Reiki practitioners. And I was like, holy smoke, where did this all come from? So, but music as a healing tool, um, I never called it that necessarily, but I remember using it as that. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's it's been very good for me, but to actually have it labeled, that's 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 pretty cool. I think that's a that's a new awareness for a lot of people. Yeah, we got to go out there with this and just let people know. I mean, you you hear people talk about the power of music, but uh, energy work has been around a long time, and uh, in in some ways, music connects us with that. For me, I've tried meditation. 
and the voices in my head never shut up, but they will shut up reliably when I'm at the piano. Mm-hmm. And being in that, in that meditative place of just allowing the music, uh, I think that's a really important practice for musicians. Even if you're not an improviser, just mm-hmm. you know, take your instrument and, and strum chords if it's a guitar or, or just hold long tones if, it's, if you're a wind instrument or if you're a string instrument, just hold long, uh, long notes, bow long notes. Um, that opens the potential, if you will, for the meditative experience. Because you don't have to concentrate on anything and just be in the sound. Yeah. And, that, I mean, and I mean, that, well, that's, that's it right there. I've, I've heard people who were doing, well, you, if, if you're a Reiki practitioner and you know about the singing bowls. Oh, yeah. I thought that was a very, very strange thing. However, it was kind of cool. Um, and then I've never, like, I know there are drumming sessions for that. Oh yeah. Never quite. I haven't been in one of those, but, um, but I guess, I guess that's all music. It it is sound and rhythm. So the, the singing bowls are cool. Um, the, the purpose for them is entrainment. So if you're in a place where you're coming for a Reiki session, let's say, or coming for a, a psychotherapy session, doesn't matter. I've seen them used both places. The tone uh, helps entrain both you and the practitioner, whichever kind it is, to the same place. Um, it, it doesn't really matter where that place is. Singing bowl is a nice peaceful place. You can entrain to that as opposed to, say, a kick drum. But um, the, the singing bowl puts you in that place where both you and the practitioner are in the lane. And it does that by uh, entraining. It synchronizes your heartbeat and your breath. You just become the sound helps you become in the same energetic place. And of course, that's really helpful in Reiki because you want to be in a place. If you're receiving, you want to be in a place where you can receive right. without jumping around or whatever. And if you're giving Reiki, you want to be in a place where you're ready to give it. And, and that coming together of both the patient and the caregiver is one of the functions of sound and rhythm, whether it's a singing bowl or a kick drum, even a kick drum can do that. If you're in a drum circle, right? You want to, that's a more upbeat, energetic kind of a thing. So that's what's going on with the singing bowls. Uh, I did a recording with a woman who played the metal ones, the, the, the antique ones, like hundreds of years old. Oh, really? Man? India, the hammered bronze. And playing along with her is, it, it's marvelous. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's the most transportive live music experience I think that I've had. And I've had a bunch of them. But this one, oh, it changed things in a different way. Because not only do you have to keep going, <laughs> right? You're also in this place where all you want to do is just like lie down and, and receive. Mm-hmm. And yet you're making the music at the same time. And, and uh, it, it's, it's the closest that I can get, I think, to what I want to call spiritual collaboration. You're doing that or when you're improvising in the lane with other people who are improvising in the same mm-hmm. place and you just, you're just there, you're synced up together. So the, the music functions physically to, to sync us up, but it's also syncing us up, you know, with all the other things. Mm-hmm. You're thinking the same way or not thinking, even if it's coming to Reiki, because there's not much thought required for that. But it almost sounds like a group flow kind of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Well said, Josh. Yeah. Where everybody kind of winds up in the zone and. Yeah. And moving forward. And it's a good zone. Yeah. Um, Can you, can you describe the singing bowls? Because I'm not familiar with what you're talking about and I'm sure that some of our audience won't be as well. Oh, of course. So um, one of the things I like to do when I was a kid, we had these crystal water glasses 
-hmm. And my father showed me how I could uh, spin around the rim with a fingertip and it would make the glass sing. So imagine that and not a glass, but imagine something that's like the size of a a trash can. (laughs) It's made of crystal. And you could do the same thing. And what kind of sound that would make. It's deep. It's it's powerful. And And it's penetrating. And it's penetrating. It gets like those, the vibration of that just gets into you in a very peaceful way. You know, you can go to an EDM concert and, you know, the the volume will make your internal organs jump. But the singing (laughs) bowl is more of a, a, it's just surrounding. It's like this. You've you've experienced this, Kelvin. Yeah, yeah. And you have to keep makes your rib cage shake a little bit, and you can kind of feel everything moving Uh, through you. Vibrational things in your head, and you have to keep it going because if you stop moving your finger, and and, you know you got to pick the right. Oh yeah, right speed, the right pressure. Yeah, if you stop, it's very jarring. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it goes away, and it's like, well, how do I get it back? <laughs> yeah, what, you want it. You know, it's like food. You want it. Yeah. Uh, the metal ones, Make it like, yeah. the the uh, the other ones, look a little bit like a bowl, like a a, a mixing bowl or something, mm-hmm. and they're made of bronze. And you can tap on those with a mallet, uh, a leather covered covered mallet, is what they normally use. Mm-hmm. Like you can tap on the big crystal ones too, but they can sing as well. So if you spin those, they'll start to sing. And those, they start hum, they, they hum softly. And then the, the, the volume will inc- eventually increase yes. and they'll just, all the overtones come in and it's like this, it, it, it's, it's heavenly. It's just, it, there's nothing like, it's an ethereal sound is what yeah, it is. That, that's a good explanation. I, it's, it's very, uh, yeah, ethereal is going to have to be it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the music of the spheres, right? Kind <laughs> of end up, inside the tone it's like the tone becomes a room and you're inside this tone room and it's really and it's it's, it's just it's just a, a bowl yeah uh, it's just a piece of metal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, i've had that experience twice and uh it was like wow and so for you know for a reiki share that's coming that's coming in very very uh very cool. Oh yeah, it's it's worth the investment, man, because uh, it's something you'll always go back to. Yeah. Right. And so. and it does it does fill you up, and it doesn't penetrate you in the way that you feel um, energized to move. Right. It, it penetrates you in the way that you feel like all of the cellular components of your body are singing at the same moment. Yeah. I it's, I'm getting that just remembering the bowl. <laughs> right now right okay so so that's so important can we stop there for a second yeah because your memory of it so um, physiologically we're really cool human beings are really cool once we've experienced something if we can call up the trigger for that just in memory like we remember the trigger Mm -hmm. our bodies don't know the difference between the real thing and our memory of it right so when you said you remember the singing bowls and you had the effect Mm -hmm. that's like a superpower that we can use and I use that with music to connect people with things, but you've just connected to the singing bowls just yeah. by your memory of it. In only two sessions, you had the effect. Yeah. Right. So this is something that we're built for. We, we built for, we're built to remember resonance, I think is the way to put it. And if you can remember the resonance you need for any given situation, your system will respond. It'll, it'll instantly entrain to the energy that you want. That's really cool yeah, about humans. The, the, the word, and the word entrain is something I hadn't, thought of in the way that you've used it here 
So mm-hmm. I, I now I've got to go back and study that a little bit more and actually and actually get into that because that's a whole that's really a whole concept in itself, I think. And but that's what the the uh, um, binaural beats and stuff are about too. Oh, exactly. Yes, and whatever the frequency. <clears throat> I mean, it's a terrible word, but whatever the frequency of it is that works for you or frequencies because there are tons. Um, if you have a, a way to re-engage with that, to remember the entrainment, mm-hmm. uh, you can do work with that, right? Like the smooth jazz you were talking about earlier. It's like, if you need the smooth jazz to relax and you're in a place where you don't have anything to play smooth jazz with, mm-hmm. remembering just a melody or something will put you in that state. Mm-hmm all the way around. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a total body thing. So you get the physical thing right away. You feel your skin crawl mm-hmm. and, and then you get this wonderful sense of peace, if, whatever it is. And, and, and my mind, when I remember those things that, that I've been trained to, it sort of empties out and the voices are still. And then of course, it's a great place for being open to the spiritual, whatever that means. Whatever that means to you. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> well, yeah, cool. Well, I'm glad podcast. I wasn't busy for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys are doing this. I don't often get a chance to go into the into the depths like that, so we can do that here because I think we're in the musical lane, and that's that's a good thing. It's not about like talking to therapists who are all about the psychological. Yeah. We get to talk about the so uh, entrainment just just for this little bit on it. It is like getting on a train, <laughs> right? But um, they discovered entrainment when they found that if you have a couple of clocks with the pendulums, you know, that swing, Mm. and if they're in the same room, eventually the pendulums will sync up. Right. Okay. Just like, how does that happen? And there's all kinds of quantum physics and stuff that's trying to explain that spooky action at a distance or quantum entanglement or whatever. But hey, it works, right? The pendulums sync up. Mm. And it turns out that if you have a tuning fork or two tuning forks and, and you hit one mm-hmm. and start it vibrating, the other one will begin to vibrate as well, even though it hasn't been touched. So yeah. this, is, this is a fundamental quality of all matter in the universe. And, and, you know, obviously, if there's a human being in the room that you happen to like, there's reasons you do. And, and we talk about mirror neurons and all that other stuff. But what's going on there is that we've synced mm. in some way that allows us to, uh, to come closer than we would have otherwise. So that's the real beauty of entrainment. A singing bowl is the facilitator for that. So before the Reiki session, the bowl goes off. And yeah, we're all syncing up to the bowl, but more importantly, um, patient and caregiver are syncing together. Mm. Yeah, that's a, whole, that's, a whole other, that's a whole other level of understanding right there. That's good. Thank that's you, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. So use it wisely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> With great power, right, comes great responsibility. So, Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Very nice. That's cool. So you were right before that, you were saying. <laughs> Who knows? I don't, I don't know. Uh, we stopped there. I think I was just there. But jo- Josh, you. I'm, I'm interested in the moment that you uh, discovered the, the connection between music and self-care. Um, what was it, what was it that clicked in your head that said, oh, this and this are together. And then how did you build music care from that? Like, I mean, you know, you can talk, talk a little bit about the business you've built and what you're doing with that, but you know, 
what was the genesis of that? And, and, and uh, how did you, how did you move forward from there? Because yeah, I mean, obviously you're in a different place than, than you are when you were playing piano at four years old. Right? Sure. Uh, you know, that's a great question. And, and there's a lot to unpack there. I wish I could say there was one moment where everything changed, but it's been so gradual. And um, I even have recognition of what's been going on uh, now that I didn't know years ago. Um, one of the most uh, amazing things for me was when I was in trauma therapy and the therapist was having me do EMDR, eye movement, that's good, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Basically what that does is, is it gets your eyes moving left and right and left and right, or you can use tappers, buzzers in your hands, a buzz left, buzz right, buzz right. So it creates this, uh, what they call bilateral stimulation in, in your brain. Mm -hmm. Left and right hemispheres start talking quicker. <laughs> Uh, corpus callosum is the thing. So there's lots of comms happening that don't normally happen. And when you stimulate that, you can do things like release traumatic memory. There's all kinds of stuff connected with having a, a, a rapidly firing corpus callosum. Okay, EMDR, great. So I had to stop the session. And I said to the therapist, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. Because the very first piece that I learned at the piano when my mom was teaching me at three years old, was left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, all the way up the keyboard on the two black notes from the bottom to the top. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't have awareness of what was happening, but I was learning the principle of bilateral stimulation with the very first song I learned. And of course, later in life, going to the piano and playing to give myself relief from something, um, I didn't realize I was doing EMDR then, but the focus of EMDR is to bring work mental, emotional work to a stimulated corpus callosum because the effect of doing that is that the traumatic memories, in my case, were released from, uh, from the memory itself. And the memory remains without the traumatic energy. Pretty amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. But with a bilateral stem, you can do all kinds of things. And of course, I've been doing that at the piano. All musicians do this. And, and my job, of course, is to find big emotion and perform that. So I'm there in the EMDR, the bilaterally stimulated state with big emotion. And, and that's the point, right, is to be um, fired up, <laughs> bilaterally stimulated mm -hmm. with big emotion because that's transformative and, and work happens. So, I mean, that was, I don't know, two years ago and I realized what I was doing when I was three. So yeah, well, I guess every, say, you know, it, it, it's gradual. Yeah, I guess every instrument that's played with two hands, both hands are doing something different. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, even single hand, like trumpet or French horn players, although there is a component to the French horn where you use two hands, but even if you're using just, you know, one hand on an instrument, you've got bilateral stimulation happening because guess what? <laughs> this is where it matters. Oh, right. Okay. Right in your ears. And you can stimulate bilaterally with sound. Binaural beats do that. So um, those awarenesses are coming. I, I did have an experience where um, it really came home to me uh, deeply, uh, which was when I was dealing with my own suicidal ideation, which I do a lot. Um, but on that particular night, it was, it was really present. I mean, I, I felt like I'd reached the end of the road. And I sat with music. And the result of that intentional willingness to just let the music uh, mind me guide me, not with no expectation, just say, okay, sound, music, uh, come into me. Sitting there in the chair with the headphones on, letting the music play on repeat, um, it changed me. Being willing to go that deep and knowing that I was safe changed me. 
and that kind of awareness, it, it's ongoing. It goes deeper and deeper every time, right? So uh, that moment, which is back in Labor Day of 2007, I really realized that I was onto something that needed to be uh, more public. You know, this awareness needed to be to be brought to people in a way that they could use for healing. And so since then, I've been doing work with uh, veterans of post-traumatic stress and homeless people and folks who are at risk. So that's when it, I guess it really came home, <laughs> if you will. And I knew that I had something that I had to share that was way beyond just performing. So it's been gradual, you know, lead, leading to starting Music Care as a business to actually get the word out and publish this and, and uh, go beyond helping people in a volunteer uh, environment to helping people who are actually searching for answers and, you know, wanting to be alive. Let's face it. This is about life and death. I mean, I don't want to be morbid here, but I mean, what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to live the life where you're just sort of hanging on and you've got a doctor or two to help you out? Or do you want to like fully engage with your superpower here and do something with it and really come alive actually? Now, um, what sorts of environments do you, try to put people in and how do you um, identify which specific genres of music might help different people in different situations? Are we talking about, um, you know, things that they've connected to as, as youth are, you know, is there a specific classical strain? Is there a specific classical strain? You know, or, you know, and then, you know, are we talking about you know, being in a big room? Or are we talking about being in a small room, headphones, speakers, that kind of thing? It, these are great questions. Uh, let's start with the environment first. Because of the volunteer work that I've done, I've had to be very flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that the way I started was basically as a performing artist, a performing musician, one-man show, that kind of thing. And I was doing that one day for a um, – it was a – Oh, it's the most amazing thing. I was invited to give my program to a conference for people who had been sexually abused as boys. So there were a lot of men in the room. And one of the men in the room uh, was a retired Air Force um, officer. And his story was that as a child, um, his parents died and he was locked in a basement for something like 11 years by his stepmother. And that's how he grew up. So he was definitely abused. Um, He came up to me afterwards because I was talking about what the work I do with veterans. And he said, Bill, if I were to drop you on the top of a hill in Afghanistan, could you do what you do? And I said, Dave, his name's Dave Pelzer. You can look him up. He's a great guy. I said, Dave, gosh, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but there's no reason why not. I mean, I should be able to do that, you know, from my flat screen, right? I can bring a speaker and, and make music. I don't have to be there playing it. So it got me thinking, guys. And since that time, I have had to do what I do uh, sitting outside in a courtyard in a residential treatment and recovery place with, uh, with folks playing guitars. Um, I've done it uh, in a parking lot, you know, on the street with a sound system with a whole bunch of homeless people drumming at the same time. Um, oftentimes these days, it's in a classroom environment. Although there are times where you go on stage and there's a big crowd and, and you know, in, in that environment, it's a different kind of thing too. If there's a piano, um, I'm really happy about that because then I can do a program that involves live music. But most of the time I can do it recorded. So um, if I don't have recorded music, we sing, we chant, or we just say, ah, together, whatever it is. So the environment is really, um, I guess it depends on the people who are in it. 
uh, I, I've done this uh, going into uh, meetings with clients, you know, professional IT clients. I'll bring the phone. I'll put on a drum track, just a click in the background, and just leave it sitting there on the table. And I won't say anything about it, but it's that entrainment thing. Is everybody that comes in the room, here's the click, and they don't know why, but they're starting to entrain. They're trying, starting to sync up. Right. So by the time the meeting starts, we're all physically, mentally, emotionally in the same place. That's, uh, that's powerful stuff. So the environment, hey, kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been blown way out of my piano recital stage and uh, sort of offered a bunch of other potentials. Okay, so what kinds of music? Well, the research is that the music you love is the most powerful. So for all three of us, that's going to be different. Right. But that's okay, because if you're dialed in on some music that works for you, that is the place to start because that's, that's closest to you. you you're, you're synced up. Like Kevin, you were talking about smooth jazz. Uh, you're synced up with that music already. And we start there. So that's a, with that in mind, um, let's say I asked you guys for your top 10 songs, probably get some different songs, but with that as the place, then we can begin to open up the envelope and say, okay, well, you've got some good songs here. And, and we talk about the emotions that are connected to each one. And you might be in a place, this is a, this is a funny story. It's an amalgamation of several, but I asked somebody once, so what's your song for sadness? And the person who was very religious and who I admired deeply said, well, it's Amazing Grace. I said, well, that's, ama- that's, that's cool. It's a great song. You know, everybody knows Amazing Grace. It's the anthem for the LGBTQI community. It's, it's the song of faith for many of us. A uh, great song. I said, so what's your song for happiness? And person said, Amazing Grace. I said, well, okay, I can see how that song could be both happy and sad. You know, it, it comes from this, the guy who wrote the words was just this, he was a slave trader. I mean, he was as bad as they come, right, back in the 18 and whatever they were. And the reason he wrote the words was because his, his ship full of slaves was in a storm and it was about to sink and he was going to lose his livelihood. And so he hit the deck, literally, and um, said, God, help me because, you know, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm scared. You know, I'm afraid for myself. And um, the words that he got were the words to Amazing Grace. So I can see how there's sadness in that, you know, and maybe even some fear. Um, but the joy, of course, of being saved, if you're in a religious community, uh, there's joy in that song. So then I asked my friend, um, so what's your song for, uh, for anger? And this person said, amazing grace. And at that point I knew that I was onto uh, uh, sort of a one track, you know, emotional person mm-hmm. because while I can think of, you know, I can gin up some anger around amazing grace. If I think about it hard enough and actually a little fear too, I thought, you know, there's an opportunity here for, for more music. And I don't want to sit here and judge anger and fear. I mean, we all get scared and angry, right? That's human. So why not put some music around that that lets us feel those emotions fully and start the entrainment process? So whenever we get angry again, we've got something that lets that stuff flow. Instead of stuffing it down, guys, you know how we, we're taught, stiff upper lip, don't show your emotions. But put some music around that. Let the anger come up a little bit and, and feel that instead of stuffing it back and suppressing it. Mm-hmm. That's a healthy thing, you know, letting the, letting the feelings come up. You're not going to act on them. You know, I, I wound up not taking my own life, but I felt that deeply and that deep connection to emotions. If your music does that for you, that's what we want. And, and you know, it's not, it's not unusual to find people who don't have fear and anger music. You know, we all have 
happy music and we all have sad music, but um, it illustrates the point that if your music, <laughs> that the music you love is just in one emotional lane, there's so much more richness available. Mm. That's, that isn't going to hurt you. It isn't wrong in any way. It's certainly, it's not sinful to feel angry. It's a feeling. What you do with it is, is the problem. I mean, if you get triggered and angry and you go out and hurt things and break people, uh, break people and hurt things. Either way. Uh, either way. Yeah, right? <laughs> either right? way, it works, right? It's not so good. But feeling the emotion, that's, I mean, we're resonators. We resonate for all this stuff. So let's, let's feel it in a healthy way and find music that supports us in that. So is that getting to your answer, Josh? I mean, it's like the music you love is the yeah. most powerful music. So we start there. I have a weird question. Uh, Josh and I both w went through an uh, experience um, with a group called MKMMA, uh, Mastermind, uh, Master Key Alliance. Okay. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, MKMMA, Master, Master Key, Key, Mastermind Alliance. And anyway, at a point when we were talking about um, learning some things, they started talking about Baroque music. And they said Baroque music has a special quality which lets us, I, I don't know, remember better or um i forget exactly what the term was they used and i didn't really know what that was i found one song <clears throat> in my collection that had the name baroque in it so i used to start playing it what is it about baroque music and um what is its claim to why that <laughs> you know, so Baroque music for everybody who doesn't know what it is yet, that's like uh, Johann Joe Bach, you know, jo Johann Sebastian Bach, mm -hmm. um, Mozart. Um, he, Mozart is right, right on the cusp, but people would generally look at Bach and that era of music. It's, uh, it's intensely intellectual music. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things Bach liked to do was improvise, uh, improvise, like at the pipe organ, improvise four and five part uh, music at the same time, like both of his feet improvising different melodies in his hands doing two or three melodies at the same time. Wow. So there's a complexity there. It's, it's, it's really, uh, it's not dense in the way that, um, that metal is. There's a different kind of density in metal music, mm -hmm. but it's very dense melodically. Uh, and, and that, that era of music uh, tends to challenge the listener to try to follow actually melodies that are going on. And if you put on a recording of someone playing Bach, um, Glenn Gould is a great go-to on Bach because he's able to make every single voice in a four-part fugue or five-part fugue uh, something that you can hear. It doesn't just sound like a bunch of chords. It sounds like four or five melodies sort of intertwining and you know doing all this stuff. Okay, so be that as it may, um, one of the things that we know about classical music is that it's it has more tension and release per second than a lot of other music that we know. Um, there's Eastern music that has a higher density, but tension release is the magic. So if you think about vibration, your heart goes thump, tension, and release. Thump, release, thump, release. Muscles contract, release. Tension release is, a, is we can see that in operation. We can also hear it because vibration is tension and release. You get a sound wave that peaks, and then it dips, and then it peaks, and it dips. So tension and release is a big part of this. And when you're talking about binaural beats and that bilateral stimulation that's going on, mm -hmm. on your left, on your right, on your left, that's tension and release. So tension and release tends, in an oversimplified way, is how we get at the effects of music. 
And if you're ready for it, you can really get into tension and release on Baroque music because it, it stimulates the part of you that is the, the cerebral part versus the part of you that is the lizard brain where you feel emotions. So when you're thinking about this whole thing, yeah, the tension release that you want to stimulate the bilateral side and the, the cerebral cortex and make all that emotional stuff sort of sublimate and let you focus on the mental, you need high tension and release for that. So uh, classical music has that. Of course, Baroque music has it uh, in, in spades. It, it's really dense, you know, improvising five different voices at the same time. Um, wow. That's intensely um, tension release full as opposed to a kick drum that hits every, you know, house music even. It, it isn't even that fast. We're talking about like really quickly. And uh, we get that. I mean, human beings resonate for that. We don't have to understand, uh, you know, all the intellectual analysis and theory of Bach to get the effect. Does, does that help? Yes, a lot. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Wow. You bet. Great question. Is there a... Is there a difference between how we process uh, melody and how we process rhythm? Like, um, yeah. You know, if we're, you know, part of a drum circle or listening to, to drum music versus, versus, and, you know, we were just talking about Baroque music. If, I, if I'm sitting down to write, um, Mozart's 42nd is my go-to. Um, and I'm probably not alone in that. Um, in fact, I think I got that suggestion from someone else. In fact, um, but yeah, you know, what's the what's the difference in the way we we process those? And then you know, throw a voice in there too, because you know, once we start hearing words, that's that's something different as well. Oh yeah, it plays with you in all on, in every aspect. So the drum circle, let's start the basics. The drum circle uh, gets at you on the adrenaline level. The, to go right to the other side of that, you don't want adrenaline when you're doing higher brain function. <laughs> it's going to mess gotcha. you up. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, go into the, the local singles bar. They're not playing Bach. <laughs> They're <laughs> playing you know, something with a beat. Because you, you want that adrenaline pump there. Mm-hmm. So everywhere along the spectrum from there, um, from the adrenaline side way up to the cerebral cortex side, uh, there's, a, there's a music that will work on you. It's going to work different on all of us, but if you find your music, you know, you're going to know um, what you need. Mm-hmm. Let's say it that way, what you need. Now, uh, it gets really cool because um, if, if you're going to hear like a blues singer, um, who's my favorite? Kev Moe is my favorite at the moment. B.B. King. Those guys can play. Man, um, I'm thinking of Lucille and all those wailing guitar blues melodies that B.B. King plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do a certain thing for me. They make me feel a certain way. They might make you feel a certain way too. But then the words come along. And oftentimes the words have the opposite emotion of the music, especially in the blues. I mean, that's part of why the blues works. You could have sad music and happy words, or you could vice versa. You could have really happy music and sad words. And, and that, that itself is tension and release. It's working on you in a way that, that's making you, I mean, if you were to parse this someday, neuroscience will have the explanation. But if you were to parse this down, 
you'd see how part of us is responding to, let's say, the joy in the words. I got my dog back. I got my wife back. I got my trailer back, right? <laughs> Well, that's country. No. That, oh, yeah, that's country, too. When you play a country record backwards, right? <laughs> nice setup, guys. <laughs> right? Okay, so there's joy. But then the music is this sad. Whoa. I mean, it's like it, it, the music is just wailing. Right? We even say it, it wails. Yeah. It, it wails because it sounds sad. So that contradiction, that 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 tension between the joy in one and the sadness in the other, that's awesome. That does great work for us because we go in there, we don't know what to feel. And and we can feel both at the same time. Mm -hmm. Emotions are non-binary. So we do, and we enjoy it. Like we like it for some reason. And some people are like, Yeah, I love this music. And some people are like wailing and weeping and just like, oh, I love this music so much, right? Mm -hmm. Both are valid. <laughs> you know? And and that. Uh, to get to your question, Josh, that's the beauty of, of how you can expand the envelope. Get it away from just a kick drum to add the next level of tension and release, which is like when the bass comes in, right? Or um, to take it to the next level beyond that, when the guitar solo comes in. And then finally, somebody starts singing and giving you some guidance. You know, I lost it all. And, you know, and think whatever the blues you like. That's that's a marvelous thing that we musicians use to uh, to manipulate people. <laughs> I don't say it for what it is to manipulate people into into joining us in the emotional lane. And I was just getting ready to ask you: Do you feel that most musicians, and maybe most is a big word, understand uh, what they're doing with the music that that they're all this? Um, I think the older you get, the more um, the more your understanding grows. At least for me, I've noticed that. And I tend to shy away from the singer-songwriter people who are brand new. Because mm -hmm. while they've got good stuff, uh, they're still getting into the lane. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see, a lot, see that in a lot of pop artists. You can see how they mature over time. Uh, Madonna was in my era. So I got to watch her go from this, you know, the material girl to somebody who actually gets it, you know, is doing stuff. In a, in a more present way, a more uh, um, engaged way, I guess. It isn't just about the big shows anymore. I, I think it's happening to Gaga right now. Um, I've seen that happen to classical musicians as well. I, I know a lot of, not personally, but I know a lot of the work of classical pianists. And you can hear them mature over the course of their lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, the early recordings are much different than the later ones. And that's, that's marvelous to me because it shows that there's an understanding building in there and not just intellectually, but um, you come to the music with a certain level of maturity that you wouldn't come to without your life experience. Uh, someone once said you shouldn't play Mozart until you're in your 30s. Mm -hmm. And I, I get that because any kid can play Mozart. It's not that hard. But to get right. to the emotional depth and to be able to, to authentically create that emotional depth, you've got to have the emotions inside. You, they've got to be there first and you don't get them without life experience, you know? Right. Like it's a, it's a matter of pattern recognition early on. Like you can, yeah, yeah. Well said you can, you can write a hit because you know what other songs have been hits. You just don't understand why, you know, you don't understand the connection, but, but you know that it's got this element and this element and this element you know, in that particular era. Yeah. So you can, you can copy those elements and, and create your own thing. And, you know, you know, 15, 20 years later, now you really have an understanding of why it connected with people. Yeah. I know songs 
I've been playing for like 40 years, you know, sure. and, and they speak to me differently every time. But the challenge, if you're, so I'm, I'm sort of a repeater, classical piano players, classical musicians, generally we repeat the music that's been written. So um, there's got to be some, something in there that draws us to that, that makes us want to try again, you know, to play it in a new way. And uh, it's a real challenge. Uh, it, it's different than the challenge of improvisation, which I think is um, in many ways a, a higher order skill because you're allowing the, uh, the music that you make to be whatever it is instead of repeating something that's been written down before. So uh, it, it's, it's a curious thing to me. I've, I've seen <laughs> classical musicians that can improvise as equally as well as jazz musicians, but when mm -hmm. the classical musicians improvise, it sounds like Bach. It's like, whoa, dude, you did that? <laughs> that, was, that, was, that wasn't written down? <laughs> and uh, you know, it can blow you away. There's a quartet, by the way, um, public quartet, which I love. Um, and so it's a, it's a classical quartet. You see the violin, two violins, viola, and a cello. That's the, the orchestration right there. So classical musicians, but they improvise. And they got famous because they improvised the music to one of the presidential debates. And Stephen Colbert had them on doing this like live. And the, the YouTube is out there now. So look for public quartet debate and you'll see them improvising music like improvising real music as the soundtrack to a presidential debate <laughs> i mean dude it, it doesn't get much better than that <laughs> you know wow that's crazy yeah i, I hate to, i hate to do this but um you know as much as you're you're, you're i mean you're a healer obviously and your focus of the music is to help people heal uh, it is my experience in life that anything that can be used for good can be used not for good. So, um, great question. You, you got a lot of psychology behind you. How do we defend ourselves against the the musical um, creations that aren't meant to help us? This is a this is a fantastic insight. And you know, after I don't know 180 podcasts. Calvin, you're the first one to ask this question. And I think it's one of those that, that really demands great responsibility from musicians. So uh, musicians kind of get it that they're manipulating people mm -hmm. and that the music is there to facilitate that. And that the audience is willing to be manipulated. We go to concerts because we want that experience and we, and we give it up for the experts to give it to us. And you know, Hey, there's resistance. I mean, I, I have a buddy who plays jazz metal and, uh, He's a multi-instrumentalist and that music is so rich. It's incredible, mm. but it's not the kind of music that people go are flocking to, you know, <laughs> let's say it that way. So there, there is this huge responsibility. If you're going to make some music to trust that the audience is going to do the right thing with it. And the example I want to use for this is the culture of hip hop. Cause there's been a lot of angst about that. I mean, people go, Oh, you know, this is, this is, scary music. It, it, what if this music encourages people to go out and, you know, break things and hurt people? And, you know, the possibility is there. It really is. But on the other hand, uh, I think that at least for the awareness that I've had, and this may be true of people who are, uh, who are the creators in the hip hop world. I don't know. I, I hope at some point to be able to talk to some of them and, and ask, but I think there's a recognition that Audiences need to be able to feel scared. They need to be able to feel angry. 
these are emotions that hip hop has been offering to the community for a long, long time. And I think with a lot of success. So to answer your question, as a creator, as a musician, we're going to give this stuff because it's in us. We have to get it out. We, we do it. We make it happen. And we have to trust that the people who receive that will know what to do with it and that we'll serve them in some way. And that the people who, uh, who are, are not in the lane with us, if jazz metal is your lane, the people who are not in that lane um, are going to turn to somewhere else that serves them. And the popularity of hip hop to me says that there are lots of people, many people who, first of all, resonate with the creativity of these amazing artists that are out there. Good Lord, freestyle, dude. I mean, freestyle blows me away. I, I know improv improvisation, right? I get it. I understand. But the folks who can freestyle well. So there's incredible talent there. And there's also incredible insight because rap poetry, to get that deep on the issues that are really scary these days, and then to offer them up in music, uh, that takes some courage. It takes some guts. And it's been happening. And people have been responding to that, not with violence, you know. Uh, they've been responding to that with, I, I think, a, a, a coming together, a connectivity that exists around hip hop that's very unique and, and better I, I would say better the sorry to cut you up but better no, the right. music is an outlet than than yes. sending that anger somewhere else yes and and to experience those uh the scary emotions you know the anger and fear to experience those in connection with other people who are also experiencing those is a is a great way and a safe way of acknowledging that yes we are human around these things too Yes, we're happy. Yes, we're sad. Yes, we're scared. Yes, we're angry. And there's a lot you can do with anger when, you, when it's collective that way for good. I mean, look at the civil rights movement. I mean, for heaven's sake, look at America itself. We were founded because a bunch of people got angry enough to do something useful. Right. And hip-hop is, is giving a lot of us that opportunity where, you know, sugar and spice and all the pop stuff and, and even the, the codependent love songs that are out there. I mean, good, good heavens. How many people are writing songs about unrequited <laughs> yeah. love? You know, that's something too. But it's not necessarily at the level of the honesty that is in hip-hop and rap music and sp specifically. The culture of hip-hop is doing this for dance and art. Just, it, it's, it's phenomenal to me that we have that kind of artistic um, community engagement maybe in the world. So... Um, there's a lot of trust involved in this and a lot of faith because if you're going to come out and say something that's that other people might see as inciting violence or inciting rage or whatever, and you've got to trust that your audience is going to get that on the level of, yeah, this is an emotion. This isn't instructions. This is an emotion. And this, you know, this has been going on for a long time. Uh, when, when, when the, we made the transition from Mozart to Beethoven, everybody hated Beethoven. It was music of the devil. We, when <laughs> rock and roll came along, oh, don't play rock and roll backwards. It's the music of Satan. Right? <laughs> I oh. remember that. Right? Uh, it's like yeah. it, it's and, and, something. <sighs> and things go wrong, right? I mean, Charles and they Man do. Char Charles Manson took over a Beatles song. Yeah. Um, you know, and he, he, you know, Helter Skelter was all, you know, became all about. Yeah, you know, the the Manson murders, and yeah, you know, decades later, you know, they blame you know a lot of people were blaming Columbine on on the music of Marilyn Manson. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, just and obviously, 
you know, Brian Warner, who, who's the character, Marilyn Manson, you know, wasn't saying go out and shoot up your school. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, and obviously the Beatles weren't picturing <laughs> you know, Charles Manson taking their song and, and turning it into a, you know, into a, an LA murder fest, but yeah, you know, things, it, it goes wrong sometimes. And it does. And uh, you know, most you know, people are, people are going to do what people do and <laughs> hard to I blame, mean, the, hard to blame the artist for it. Concerts and dance halls are now, um, you know, the targets for people who are crazy, but I don't think the people who are going out and shooting up concerts uh, are doing it because of the music. I think they're doing it because they recognize they have uh, you know, a profound difference that they see with the people who are in the room, or maybe just because there's a bunch of people there, right. but tying yeah. it down to music, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can blame, you know, Eminem for anything that's happened, but people will. Right. And you know, okay, that's fine, but I don't think it's responsible. Uh, I, I I would be hard pressed to find uh, like a satanic band that's out there encouraging people to just go out in the world and, and kill other folks. There probably is one, maybe more, but um, are they at the top of the heap? Is that a responsible thing for anybody to do? Uh, and no. if it's in their lyrics, uh, and I wasn't even <clears throat> asking necessarily from from that piece, but but I guess. If, if somebody's not resonating with us, we'll just listen to something else. But, you know, we, we are undoubtedly the, the probably the most manipulated generation no, <laughs> yeah. these, these days. I mean, everything is manipulating us, the ads, the, you know, everything that's going on. Social media, fake news. I mean, yeah, real news. What, what's stuff. real anymore? <laughs> We're talking about, you know, the effect of music and, and your, your particular focus of using it for healing and and stuff then it's you know i I'm, well i'm the guy who tends have, to look at well what's the other side of that coin we have modern examples so uh, the military used music to get manuel noriega uh, to come out of the cathedral they played rock they played the music that they knew that he didn't like <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah that's true uh, make him crazy armed forces radio they played it and um we hear about sound cannons and uh, there there are uh weaponized uses of sound and rhythm. Um, one of those that has been misused, but back in the day before we had movies, uh, you'd go to the theater and there'd be somebody playing a pipe organ as the soundtrack to the silent picture. Mm -hmm. And there are notes on the pipe organ that are so low that you can't hear them. But what they do is they create terror. They, the, the vibrations create a feeling of fear. Right. And so the organist could use those low notes that nobody could hear uh, to, to amp up the scary in the, mu in the movie, right? And those vibrations are still around. We can still use them if we want them to, if we want to uh, uh, use them for good. I mean, once you become aware of this stuff, you have a choice and that's a real responsible choice. If you're standing on a stage with a band, you know, you, you've got to do something up there and it had better be good. But on the other hand, are, what's your purpose? Why are you there? Are, are, are you there to, um, to create terror or violence? Are you there to offer a message? Are you there to give peace? Uh, you know, I, I, the music in the military has always been uh, right out there in front. I mean, it was the, the fife and the drum who led the entire column, uh, not only to give people a beat so they know which foot to use, but I mean, they were right up there in the front where it was the most dangerous. So uh, think about this 
the weaponization of music, the biblical story of the walls of Jericho came down because the, they were playing music, they're playing trumpets, you know? So sound is a, is a, it, it's a really powerful thing. Uh, even to the extent that um, one of the pieces of research I read recently is that our, the coil of our DNA, the spiral of our DNA is held together by, by vibration, by sound. If we could listen to the sound, we could hear our DNA holding on. And when the sound is interrupted, uh, it comes unraveled. The DNA comes unraveled. Uh, we talk about the vibration of the, of the earth, and um, they know that they've been able to hear vibration in black holes. There's sound coming out of black holes. Everything else goes in, sound comes out. So this is powerful stuff. Okay. All right. It's just yeah. a question I had to ask. I'm glad you did. You, you know, <laughs> head of the class, because it's an important one. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. So, yeah. If, and if you're listening, by the way, you have a choice. If you're listening to music that, that is getting into you in a way that you don't like, you have a choice. You don't have to go there. But if you're in a safe place and you want to see how deep that rabbit hole goes, it's just music. It's just emotions. They're not going to kill you. And if you're sitting in a safe place with some headphones on and listening to that stuff, um, you know, give yourself a chance to see how, you, how it plays on you, how it responds. You may not like it. But it's probably a healthy journey if you've got awareness to, to give that a chance. You know, awareness is, I think, the important part. Absolutely, yeah. Awareness is the important part. So, Wow, that got us to a dark yeah. place. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just emotions, guys. It's just emotions. Yeah. They'll change. Well, leave that and go to Boney James for smooth jazz and everything. There you go. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say Kenny G. <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. He—he's not my favorite. <laughs> Mine neither. Favorite. Let's be honest. <clears throat> Boney James. Boney James. I listen probably to more of his stuff than anybody else because it just—it—it it just moves. It sings, and it—and it, and I can listen to it forever. I've got a couple of songs like I when I go visit my family for holidays and stuff. I do have to drive to Maryland, so that's a seven-hour drive, and there are songs that I can play for seven hours. <laughs> yeah, I never get tired of it. Yeah. And, and, and never hear all of it really see, it seems like, but it just, it just fires me up and I'm ready to go. And I come out of the car happy and ready to hug people I don't like and everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it, a very good thing. Yeah. That's awesome. That's uh that's uh do you have a psychology degree too? No, I don't. You know, one of the crazy things about what I do is that there isn't a credential there are music therapists. Okay. So music therapists are credentialed and they usually have masters or PhDs and they've been, uh, they're, they're licensed in many States. So there's an actual process for that because mm -hmm. they do one-on-one. -on -one. They, they're in a therapeutic relationship with you, like a counselor mm -hmm. or a therapist would be, but I'm just this guy who knows stuff, <laughs> you know, and sharing my experience. Uh, I, I think there's a lot more people out there like me um, who understand that music works. Mm -hmm. And if we can, uh, if we can get the word out so that musicians who take the stage and want to can say, Hey, I'm about to do this thing. And this is why it works. Uh, that's going to be huge. That evolution will be huge because musicians, performers, we get this, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and it kind of makes sense. So it coming from that place of, you know, the art of healing, there isn't a credential for that yet. You know, it's, it's, uh, there will be, 
but yeah, once they do that, it's taxable. So you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 leave that alone. Man, all we're already credential. Just go with it. Yeah, yeah. but you know, you go through life and you get. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've had plenty of therapy, so I know something about how psychology works. And yeah. if you read the research, a lot of it is by psychologists, a lot of it's by music therapists, and then some of it is by neuroscientists and just medical professionals who are curious. And uh, they find out that music does this stuff. And it's like, hey, music does this stuff. Um, well, this has been very I, enlightening for me because I, I, you know, all I knew was when I listened to certain stuff, I feel good about it. And, and that's the stuff I listened to when I, when I turned to. Back in the day when I was... Uh, when I was really, really sad and I needed to pull out of myself, I'd listen to stuff like, you know, Maynard Ferguson and Birdland. And oh, yeah. And, oh. and I play it loud because once you do that, you don't, you, the, the sound and the music overpowers the emotion that I was feeling. Yeah. And it's like, I kind of beat myself out of feeling depressed and, and that kind of stuff. And that's the kind of stuff I've done for myself. And music is definitely my go-to and smooth jazz mostly when I need to get out of a funk or something. And either that or call Josh and talk to him. That'll do it. <laughs> Here's an immediately <laughs> actionable thing. Uh, a quick takeaway for anybody who's listening. Mm -hmm. um, just a suggestion, but I think it works. And I've seen that it, it does for other people. If you're in a place where you're feeling something you don't like and you don't want, you don't want that emotion right now, mm -hmm. Um, I like to feel that emotion fully first before I change the channel. So if I'm feeling like somebody cuts me off in traffic and I'm feeling angry, um, I'll flip to my anger music to let that anger come up and leave me instead of stuffing it because I'm way too good at stuffing anger. So I've, this right. is my practice. And then I'll change to something that's happy or peaceful that changes my mood. So um, I welcome the mood, whatever it is, with music because that lets it flow quicker. Make sense? I'll so, keep that in mind. Yeah, just, you know, if you're feeling something you don't want. Yeah, I don't know how anger goes. music works for you, but for me, when I put on my angry music, it, it helps release the anger. There, you said you it. Know, as opposed to feel it. You know, yep. I, I put on some Rage Against the Machine, and, you know, seven minutes later, you know, I've got the, it's all off my chest. I'm good. Yeah. Bingo. I don't know those people, so we might just <laughs> pick those out, yeah. <laughs> you gotta check the machine man they're cool yeah, gotta do that I guess. yeah or um, my favorite go-to right now on angry music is um what is her name Brittany howard have you guys heard of Brittany yet no i haven't no i'll check her out and and it's not the it's like for her it's the lyrics she's a poet it's the lyrics that have the anger in them and then the music is just kind of there it's present it supports the music but it isn't rage against the machine mm -hmm. the music um, is somehow uh, powerful behind these lyrics because she's got some angry stuff. I mean, she's got a song that my favorite right now for anger is a thing called Goathead. And she was raised in a biracial family and they'd go out to the car and in the mornings uh, often somebody would have left a goat head in the back seat. So how do you deal huh. with that as a kid? So that song has so much rage in it and, mm -hmm. and she does it so well. It's just like, it, it just crept up on me. First time I heard it, I was like, this is a great song. Wow, I'm loving this song. Why do I love this song so much? And then she gets to the whatever the chorus or something, and I realize that it's a it's it's a rage, it's an anger song. Wow, powerful stuff. Brittany Howard, check it out. Will do. And can can we just pull that out for a second? You just said something about going out to your car and finding a goat head in it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we kind of glossed over that. So, so that's in that song. We'll, um, we'll, we'll have the YouTube in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Do that. Uh, yeah, it's for, a, for all her tiny desk concert. I think that's her closing yeah. song and it's powerful. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And, and yeah. And that's the image. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that, that, that's powerful. Changes the mood, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it does something. <laughs> yeah, it does something. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been I've been like vibrating for the whole podcast here. Uh, once we started talking about the singing bowls, I'm just buzzing anyway. So it's uh, it's this is this is pretty this is pretty interesting. I haven't had this sensation lasts this long. So it's been a very powerful conversation for me altogether. Here. Reiki, Reiki hands. <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. We'll, we'll do the, we'll do the, um, the Spock thing. Uh, Spock with Reiki. Yeah. And there then we'll go. like Reiki them. <laughs> awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, it is cool. Just, um, well, I, I guess we're kind of at that point where, where I, I say, hey, um, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Is there anything that, yeah, and we'll give you a chance to talk about your website and, and anything you got going on, but uh, is there anything that you hoped we were going to get to that we haven't? No, um, miraculously, I think the questions that you guys, that you've had are, um, are full of insight and especially novel because I love the question about uh, being responsible with this power that that is so important. And I really thank you for hitting that one. Uh, that's, that's something that people need to know. You know, you need to accept that. Yeah, this is powerful and that you can use it for good or not and make the choice. Cool. Awesome. Great. Um, where do you want people to find you on the web? Where do you connect with people you know, and how can people, um, get to a workshop or uh, book you? Really great question. Um, easiest way is probably Facebook these days, but I'm out there. And if you can find how to spell my name, which you'll see in the show notes, uh, just search your favorite platform. You'll probably find a way in. The, the website that I like to talk about is called quest.musiccare.net. Quest, the old-fashioned way, like you're on a quest. This is This is the quest of life. And uh, there you'll find ways to connect with me to free stuff. Uh, you can sign up to take the Music Care Quest. It's an online quest. Uh, learn how to use music in a way that is very self-empowering. Uh, I, I think it's important to get that word out and, and to help people in that lane because it makes the music more present. So quest.musiccare.net. And then um, I'll have show notes. This will all be in the show notes for people who are yeah. looking at it later. Yep. We'll have all that. Um, and links to everybody and everything we've talked about. Um, this is actually uh, the longest list we've had in a while. Um, so I'm looking forward to putting these together. And uh, yeah, thank you for thank you for being here and sharing yourself with us. Oh, thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for doing this work. It's important people have a way to to connect, you know, with the information. And you guys are part of that now. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Awesome. Show notes and more at jkwdpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends, and we will see you next week. Bye!
a Better Humanhood production.